Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Welcome into the Friday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac. Dan McLaughlin with you. And we're going to jump around a little bit with hockey, college football, college basketball. My guests will be Mike Kelly and Scott Highmark. But we first start with some interesting news concerning hockey. This is from Elliot Friedman. At least four NHL teams investigating the possibility of playing home games in outdoor stadiums if it will allow them to have fans in attendance. Again, no guarantees in COVID times, but it's being explored. That's according to one executive that was on Wednesday. None of the clubs would comment, but they are Anaheim, Boston, L.A., and Pittsburgh. That's according to multiple sources. It was the Kings who first considered the idea several months ago. The NHL doesn't have yet an official start date for the 2021 season. Local rules would not allow Anaheim, L.A. to commit to this plan at this time, but the Kings and Ducks are doing due diligence for somewhere down the road if they learned they would be allowed more fans at outdoor events than indoor ones. The thought process is similar in Boston and Pittsburgh. The Bruins have been in contact with state and city officials about different options. The Penguins have looked into both Heinz Field and PNC Park. Now, the major issue with this would be approval from players and opponents. Apparently, a survey completed by all 31 teams indicated several would not be thrilled with the idea of switching between indoor and outdoor venues during the season. Seems to be a long shot at best. Now, Gary Bedman, the commissioner of hockey, was part of a wide-ranging interview on the Sports Journal's Dealmakers in a sports program on Wednesday. He was asked about a start date. Could they start hockey on January 1st? That is a work in progress, uh, influenced largely by what we're hearing from the medical experts. And we talked to some pretty highly placed people without name dropping. Uh, COVID is going through a second wave, uh, which could be worse than the first wave. Uh, And between Thanksgiving and the aftermath and what they think is going to happen uh, for Christmas and the aftermath, uh, we are taking our time uh, and making sure that as we look for ways to move forward, we're focused on health and safety and doing the right thing. What would training camp look like? There'll be a training camp that will be adequate and the Players Association, the players will sign off on one that they think is the appropriate length might be slightly shorter than we typically have, but not necessarily. An issue will be getting players back and forth through the border. Well, the, the we were able to get players using our protocols and dealing with the governments at all levels, federally, provincially, and in the cities in which we played. They were very satisfied going in with our protocols. We handled them, mm-hmm. uh, and I think our credibility is pretty high. Putting aside the issue is whether we can get our personnel exempt there's still the issue of a quarantine. And so if you're playing a regular schedule of games, you can't quarantine players for 14 days as you're moving in and out of the country, which is why among the other issues that are going to impact a possible season is we literally would have to realign and create a situation where maybe the teams in Canada, maybe the teams in Canada only play each other, and we have to realign the way all of our teams 
are playing competitively. A major source of revenue could be their upcoming TV deal, and that is up with NBC. NBC has been a terrific partner. Uh, It's about exposure. It's about promotion. It's about how the games are covered, uh, production values, the talent they use. uh, And, you know, there's lots of interest, which is great. Uh, The interest is coming all from great organizations that have the capacity to do wonderful things with our sports. And it goes to whether it's traditional media or on the digital platforms and streaming, it's how we're going to be able to connect with our fans going forward, particularly the younger fans. And there's been a lot of technical technological innovation. We used more cameras than ever before in the in the bubbles because yep. there were no fans to block. We 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 started using puck and player tracking in the last two rounds of the playoffs. Uh, we're we're going to make sure going forward that our relationships will give our fans the best connectivity uh, and best experience that they can have with sports covering, watching, enjoying our games. So that's the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman, and again, that wide-ranging interview on the Sports Journal Dealmakers, and that was a sports program on Wednesday. Want to bring in our hockey insider on 101 ESPN, and you hear him 11-2 to 2 every day with Rivs, BK, and Alex, and that is Alex Ferrario. And again, we're going to visit with Mike Kelly, and we're also going to hear from Scott Highmark coming up on the show. Alex, great to visit with you. How are things going? Doing great, Danny. I'm hoping that there's some optimism after hearing Gary Bettman talk, but uh, we all know how these negotiations go, don't we? Yes, we do. And you had this week in hockey last night. I know you and Joey Vitale uh, jumped into this in some of the comments of Gary Bettman. Is January 1st, is, is that just a pipe dream? What do you think? I think it's a pipe dream. And I know Gary Bettman has changed his tone a little bit on that interview with the Sports Business Journal. You know, before he said that January 1st was what they're shooting for. And then he says on the interview that now it's got to be a work in progress. To me, it's impossible to get January 1st done, Dan, because you figure you're going to have at least three to four weeks of training camp slash preseason. And that doesn't even include the idea of getting these guys back into the country, their states where they're going to be playing. And then on top of it, you got to imagine that you're going to have some type of positive cases when they get back from wherever they're playing, whether it be Europe, Canada, Russia. So you take the two-week quarantine that you'd have to do, you take the three- to four-week preseason and training camp that you'd have to go through, January 1st seems impossible. Now, I think it's kind of a sliding scale. The faster that they agree upon returning, I think that means the faster that they can get this started. So I would say a likely outcome is going to be the end of January is when you're going to see the NHL start. Let me throw this one at you. Training camp, could it be shorter than three to four weeks if they had to do that? I don't think so, Dan, just because. Now, I don't think it would affect teams that were in the postseason, like the Blues. I think it affects teams like the Detroit Red Wings. It it affects teams that didn't make this postseason bubble because if you think about it, their last game that they played was the the beginning of March. So, I mean, if you don't start until January 1st and try and lengthen up or shorten up this training camp, I mean, you're looking at almost a year since these guys have been on the ice as a team. Now, some of these guys are back in their cities and they're skating. Uh, Some of these guys are skating over in Europe or playing in games over Europe. But I just I think you're you're setting yourself up for 
for disaster if you try and rush these guys onto the ice so that you could get in as many games as possible because if you start in January, you're going to try and get 60 games in, and I still think you're going to be trying to do three to four games a week. So I, I, I it's always possible, especially with the NHL, but I, I think the players would refuse to do that and general managers would refuse to do that because they need to have the proper amount of time to get to get ready to play. So I guess the question would be, Alex, is it a, a 48-game season? Is that the fewest amount of games that you, that you could play, which they've done in the past? Do you think that's probably the, the right amount of games? I think that's the right amount of games. Now, I, I do know that you know you got to negotiate with NBC, of course, with the television deals to find out because if I'm not mistaken, 60 was the minimum games uh, that needed to be played to kind of uh, to to hit that contract mark of what they had with them. So there's got to be some negotiation in there, I'm assuming. But I mean, you just look at a typical season that's been locked out in the past. Dan, like, let's go back to the 12-13 season when they started up midway through. You played 48 games, started in the middle of January, if not the end of January, if I'm not mistaken, and it gave yourself the opportunity to play three, maybe four games in a week, you know, where you feel like you're not trying on these guys. So, you know, you know, maybe you could push it to 50, 55. And, but I think you're going to have to get some opinions from the players on this because, you know, this won't be a typical season. You're probably going to have to stretch out the roster size. You can't play with 26 players and two goaltenders. If you're going to be trying to play as many games as possible in a short amount of time, so if they if they if they lengthen the roster and give players an opportunity to have some days rest or if they're going to do the idea that they talked about of playing in a in a hub city and then getting a week off then maybe you'd be able to cram in a couple of more games but what everyone has to remember is they got to get this done by July with the Olympics so I would imagine 48 is going to be that sweet spot if they start at the end of January uh, to do what's best for the players and the team. Is it fair for a player to play four games in a week and do that every week? Do you, do you think that's even fair? I think it's fair if they're in a hub city. Like if they're doing four games to where basically you're going to Chicago for one and then two days later you're playing in Nashville and then three days later, later you're playing back-to-back games in St. Louis. That's too much travel. And then on top of that, you're going to have to worry and the players will be worried, the coaches will be worried about if anybody tested positive or not. So I think if you're going normal travel, that's too much to ask. I think if you're in a hub city, Dan, and you're just saying, okay, hub city in St. Louis, and we're going to do a week here with teams in your central division that's been realigned. So on a Tuesday, you're going to play Chicago. On a Thursday, you're going to play Nashville. On a Saturday, Sunday, you're playing Colorado and Chicago again. I don't think that's too much to ask, but frankly, I'm not a hockey player. I'm not getting um, pushed into boards and puck shot at me that need that rest on, but that seems like a typical schedule. Now, players aren't happy about it, but if you're in one place and you're not on a plane every time, if you're able to go home or go to your hotel after the game, I think that's doable for the players, especially if they're going to get a week off after that to where they can kind of rest the body up before they start up again. What are you hearing? I I get asked this all the time, and I'm looking at text lines right now, and and fans are saying, what are you hearing about the Blues being back in town and some of the players trickling in? What are are you hearing about guys working out right now? 
I, I know there's a lot of guys that are in St. Louis. Nearly the entire roster is here, Dan, uh, practicing on a daily basis. Now, it's not a organized practice like you would imagine in a training camp or in a regular season, but these guys are out there. You know, I know for a fact Ryan O'Reilly is here, and he's out there working with some of the younger players, and they're skating, and they're getting the conditioning down. Um, and I think we talked with Craig Berube on Ribs and BK a couple of weeks ago, and frankly, Joey and I talked about it yesterday on This Week in Hockey. Uh, you know, the, the coaches are kind of working on the side as well, getting everything ready so that when they do start, they can hit the ice running and be ready to go rather than have that delay of, okay, what do we do now? So um, I know a lot of these guys are skating. I, there are some that are playing over in Russia in the KHL. Like I believe Clint Costin is playing in the KHL right now for conditioning purposes. Um a couple of other guys are just staying where they are from. Like Ivan Barbashev, I believe, is in Russia. A couple of guys in Europe, a couple of guys in Canada. Just because it's it's natural for them to be able to do their training and practicing in the offseason with their own trainers. So uh, I, I would say you have a lot of your roster here in St. Louis practicing, but there still are some guys that are kind of overseas that'll be making their way back probably within the next week. Yeah, it's interesting. And finally... Fans in the stands, do you think we could get to Enterprise Center and be socially distant? Do you think that would happen in whether it's Enterprise Center or other the you know some of the other arenas if they start to slowly integrate fans in the stands? Are you hearing anything about that? I haven't heard much about that, Dan. Now, I do know that Gary Bettman said in that Sports Business Journal interview that that's the hope. The hope is to have some type of fans in the stands this season. And of course, with the vaccination positive news coming out, you're kind of optimistic that that would happen. I don't see full capacity. Frankly, I don't see 75% capacity. I think you're talking about maybe once you hit postseason, you can get to maybe 20, 25% capacity in stadium, socially distant, of course. Um, but I think what really comes into play with all of this is the individual uh, city and state governments, because, you know, if you look at Dallas in Texas, you know, they're allowing as many people in the stands as you want. Now, if you look at San Francisco in California, they're not even allowing these guys to be in the same to play in their own stadium with contact sports. So I think it's going to kind of vary with what each government and and uh, uh, city officials decide what's best. But the optimist side of me, Dan, says I think you're looking at March, April, postseason, you'll be able to start to put some people in the stands because the NHL is going to be pushing for that. And especially they're going to be watching with what happens with the NFL this season and the fans in the stands. And then, of course, the NBA, which is going to be starting up in a couple of weeks as well. No doubt. Hey, really enjoyed the show last night. Great stuff uh, with you and Joey. And uh, I'll catch up with you when you get into the station today. Thanks for doing this. Danny, it's great to catch up, buddy. We're hoping we get some hockey back soon and uh, keep up the great work on the show, buddy. You too. That's Alex Ferrario, our hockey insider here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we'll visit with the voice of the Missouri Tigers. That is Mike Kelly. Later in the show, uh, my partner tomorrow on the SLU game, that'll be Scott Highmark. And this is the Friday edition of Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Let's jump right into it with the voice of the Missouri Tigers. Does a great job and a busy man right now as basketball is underway in the college ranks. And we know football continues, uh, knock on wood, and it's 
whether or not there's testing that rolls in positive or negative. Mizzou has gotten through this okay. And uh, Mike Kelly joins us, the voice of the Missouri Tigers. Mike, as always, great to visit with you. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with you and yours, and nice to hear your voice. How are things going? Good, my man. It's uh, it's great to talk to you. And, uh, yeah, you know, fun time of the year with both sports going on. Um, you know, as you were as you were doing that introduction, I was thinking, uh, imagine this, Dan. Here we are in December. Um, Missouri still has three games to play. For the players, this is week 18. So from from week one when they started and they reported, now we're into week 18, and the Tigers still have three games left to play. You want to talk about, you know, a resilient bunch of, bunch of kids and, and, and coaches and things like that. Uh, you know, as I continue to say, 2020 is a season unlike any other. It really is, and they're doing it with the the oddity of the protocols and the masks and the social distancing and trying to watch film and make sure that when you get into a room that you're not around each other and the workouts for football that, that go into it. I, I don't know how Eli and his staff are doing it, but uh, by all accounts, Mike, they, they've done a very good job. Well, and, and, and the players, right? I mean, you know, this is the thing that, that I think that we It's a we great don't. point. That's right. Yeah, I don't think that we, we we spend enough time talking about the responsibility that the players have taken, and um, you know they this is this is unlike anything that that any college football player or student has had to go through. And that you know you found out you know in the spring you had you had spring football ripped away from you. Oh, by the way, you can't practice, but you also can't go out and you can't hang out and you've got to be responsible and your social life is going to change dramatically because now you're, you're going to be in this, this bubble just around your teammates. And yeah, you got to be really careful about those that you hang out with on a regular basis. Cause you know, they're not, they're not going through the testing protocols and you're dealing with this in the spring and into the summer and into the fall school years underway. And now, you know, we're past Thanksgiving and there's nobody else on campus because Mizzou's gone virtually, but you know, the football players and the other students, athletes that are that are underway uh you know men's basketball they're back at it and so you know you, you i just i'm just amazed at the really the level of responsibility that these that these 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 college kids have taken to make sure that they get a chance to play a sport that they love and and you know dan the other thing too i can't i can't reveal the number i can't because mizzou does not want to reveal the number but if, 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 if you would understand, if the fans would understand the number of tests that have, that have been taken, we're talking three times a week. Now we're in week 18, right? Um, if, you would, if you would know the total volume of the number of tests taken and the limited number of positive tests that have come back, you'd be absolutely amazed. Because when, when Missouri's had groups that have gone down, as they did a few weeks ago with the position group, it's contact tracing. It's not all positive tests. And so, um, again, I just I pay tribute to these 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 young men and 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 just how mature they've been through this entire thing. Mike, I give uh, Eli and his staff a lot of credit. You know, you mentioned it. No question. You know, no spring practice, so you're trying to to figure your way through what you have that's been left over by Barry Odom. You got your class that you're you're kind of figuring out too. 
And then, oh, by the way, a position group gets wiped out. Oh, who's our quarterback? Uh, what do we have at this position? Oh, and, and we got the gauntlet of the SEC. We got LSU. We got Alabama. We got all these, yeah. you know, I, and I think he's done just a heck of a job. Uh, give me just a broad view of, of the job that you think he's done so far. Uh, I think he's been uh, fantastic. Uh, I've, uh, I, I, I've said this to you before. Uh, from from the word go, and for me, the word go in my relationship with, with Eli Drinkwitz was when practice started 18 weeks ago. And watching practice and watching the level of organization and then talking with those that are involved in the program, and I'm talking about staff members and understanding um, how they operate and, and, and just how much organization means to coach Drinkwitz. And then the byproduct of that is that then everything shifts and they have plans and they know how to react and they're able to utilize their time wisely. Um, you know, and then, you know, I, I give him great credit for the staff that he's built. And I don't say this lightly, Dan, I don't, and you, you've known me for a long time, but as I've had a chance to meet individually with these coaches that he's brought on board, and again, I don't say this lightly because I have dear friends on previous staffs. This is the most impressive staff that I've been around at the University of Missouri in my 27 or 28 years, um, you know, calling the games. And in my 30 plus years of being associated with the program uh, through doing Tiger Talk and things like that. I mean, when you meet these guys and when you see uh, not only the level of professionalism, but their personalities and their commitment, not only to the program and to the young men, but their commitment to the head coach. Um, you know, it's, it's, this is an impressive and impressive group. And so I give, I give coach Drinkwitz all the credit. Wow. That's a, that's a big statement for Mike Kelly. That's my guest here. And uh, Mike Kelly, the longtime voice of the Missouri Tigers and, and Mike, it's going to be uh, bittersweet in a way to see Arkansas and on the other sideline, Barry Odom. What do you think that's going to be like for Barry? What do you think it's going to be like for both sides, knowing what's at stake this weekend with Mizzou and Arkansas? Well, I've known him for a long time. Uh, I've had no communication with him since since he was, he was fired. Um, he is a competitor uh, that I know this week, and even last week when Arkansas had a bye um, or had a postponement, uh, I know that, that this thing has been circled on his calendar since he took the job as the defense coordinator at Arkansas. And I know he will do everything uh, that he can possibly do to make sure that his team uh, on the defensive side of the ball plays at the very highest possible level that they can because winning at Missouri – from a competitor standpoint and for a guy that felt like he should have had another opportunity to continue to coach his alma mater, winning at Missouri will be the most important thing that uh, Barry Odom will want to accomplish this year with this football team. Yeah, there's, there is no doubt about that. We saw on Wednesday night, I want to uh, shift gears a little bit. I thought it was a great win for Mizzou. Neutral floor, uh, basketball, the Tigers beat Oregon, top 25 team, 83-75, and Mizzou leads in that game for nearly 39 minutes. What did you take away against uh, Dana Altman and that really good win against Oregon for Conzo Martin? 
Yeah, it was a good win. I mean, Oregon did not have one of their best players in Will Richardson. You know, he had thumb surgery on Wednesday that was revealed right before tip-off. Uh, LJ Figueroa, the transfer from St. John's, is not cleared yet. Um, you know, so their depth was impacted. But but Dan, Missouri did what it needed to do. I mean, you know, it's, it's like Gary Finkel used to say, you get guys out and nobody cares. They care about the outcome. Um, and, and I thought it was, again, uh, the ability to lean on different people uh, to come up with the ultimate goal of winning the game. In game one, it was Mark Smith with 18 points. Mark Smith had 13 in the first half, but didn't score until late in the game. Uh, Xavier Pinson scores 19 points in the second half after scoring just three in the first half and helps lead Missouri. I think you continue to see, um, you know, uh, the maturity of Jeremiah Tillman. He played 30 minutes in the game. Um, you know, pulled down double-digit rebounds once again. And so, you know, and, and scored the basketball. Um, you know, you saw Javon Pickett come up and show, you know, the, the role that he can play on this team and, and basically just giving a spark. At one point, he scored nine consecutive points. And so, and then Drew Smith continues to do what Drew Smith does. Uh, just different pieces to the puzzle. I don't think Missouri panicked, um, you know, when they had a stretch of missing 15 consecutive shots between the end of the first half and the start of the second half. And at the end of the day, the, 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 the more complete team won the game. I'm seeing, and I've been watching a lot of college basketball uh, this week, and um, we're seeing no fans. And uh, watching games with no fans, whether it be the NFL or college football, is one thing. Seeing it with college basketball is another. What, what's been your take on, on seeing college basketball with no fans and college football with no fans? It's, it's different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Missouri's first game against Oral Roberts, they, they, had, they had crowds. They had a crowd. Uh, they are limiting attendance to 3,000 at Missouri Arena. So uh, Missouri's next home game is the ninth against Liberty. And then on the 12th after Missouri, and we assume it's going to be Georgia in football that day, Two hours after that game is going to be the Missouri-Illinois game. So the bragging rights game is going to be interesting. There will be at least 3,000 fans on hand for that game. But, but then, you know, for me, as I watch these games, and, and, and last night, as you know, we are uh, Wednesday night, as, as you know, we did that, uh, you know, virtually. It was the first time we, you know, have, have done that this season and, and doing the game from the Hearn Center while the team's playing in Omaha. At the end of the day, the – it feels like a scrimmage, you know. That's what, uh, yeah, that's how I kind of think it looks like a scrimmage. Yeah, and, and you know, even, you know, earlier this week when when Kansas, uh, you know, played Kentucky in, 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 in Indianapolis, even even Bill Self said afterwards, you know, it's 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 it feels like a scrimmage. And so, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll get to a point where, where fans can come back to the games. Uh you know that that that's my wish. That's uh, I, I do applaud Missouri for you know allowing fans in a socially distant Missouri arena to to come in and watch games. And you know it, it's you know when you walk in the building, I was shocked at the number of stickers or labels that they had, you know, across different seats to to make sure that you you're not sitting there and your prescribed seat is is the ones that are are the ones that are open. And so. I think they 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 went through a tremendous uh, amount of time and effort to to lay that out, but uh, uh, it's it's strange, Dan. It, it, but but twenty twenty has been strange. And I'll I'll wrap it up with this. You mentioned calling the game virtually. How was it for you, having done so many broadcasts? Um, how did you feel doing it, getting behind the mic and calling it off the monitor? Here here was the weird thing. It was the first regular season game 
that we had done in the building in the Hearn Center since um, March the seventh, I think, of two thousand four against Kansas, when they, wow. which was the last regular season game played inside the Hearn Center. So, you know, um, so the selfish side, and again, I mean, we, we go back to our relationship and the depth of it. And you know, I'm selfish. Of course, um, you are. You know, being able to for a road game be able to leave my house some three hours before tip off. Um, you know, walk up to Mizzou Arena, sit down, get set, uh, do Zoom pregame shows with the assistant coaching with Conzo Martin, um, and then do the game. And then afterwards, knowing that Missouri basketball team is in Omaha and getting ready to jump on a bus for a five hour bus ride, and within 15 minutes after the conclusion of her postgame show, I'm back at home. That part was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not the same, though. It's just not the same. And, you know, last night, I mean, um, you know, we had hoped to have, um, you know, the effects fee from the television broadcast, which, you know, for those that don't know, is the microphone underneath the rim so you can hear the rims rattling and hear the sneakers. We didn't have that because of the unit failed, the unit we sent to Omaha with the basketball team. So we had canned crowd noise or canned basketball noise, natural sound of basketball action. Um, and that's just not the same. It's, 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 it's obviously artificial. And so, uh, but it's 2020, right. And, and, you know, you do what you, you, you can do and, and try to make it as, uh, as listenable, if that's a word for the list, for the, uh, the people that are tuning in as you can. It sounded great, my man. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow, and I'll have you tuned in with Mizzou and Arkansas. And then on Sunday, we got basketball, Mizzou and Wichita State. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate your time. I ain't miss Libby and the kids, and you're not paying the kids enough. You need to give them more money for all the work they do for you. Uh, be quiet there, Mike Kelly. They get enough, those rotten kids. Just kidding. I love those kids. Coming up, we'll switch gears from Mizzou to SLU. Scott Highmark, he'll be on the call tomorrow. SLU will take on a team that they should beat. We'll get into that next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Let's jump right into it with Scott Highmark. I'll be on the call with Scotty tomorrow as the Billikens will be on Fox Sports Midwest and they'll take on Arkansas Pine Bluff. The Bills are 2-0. and It was just last weekend. They had a big win over LSU at Chaffetz. And let's bring in the Billiken Hall of Famer, Scotty Highmark. Scott, great to be with you. How are things going? Things are great, Dan. Good to be with you. It's uh, basketball season is rocking and rolling, so it's a great time of year. It, it is. Um, your impressions of watching these games without crowds like Cameron indoor the other day to me, wasn't Cameron indoor. Um, it was weird. It was different games without fans. It's the first time it's really caught my attention without fans. How about for you? Oh, it's totally odd. Yeah. Watching that Duke game the other, the other night, even my, my wife noticed, she's like, is that Duke? That's, that's, those are, are those cutouts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so even, you know, watching, you know, some of the Maui classic that was played in Nashville, North Carolina was weird. I mean, there's just been a lot of weird optics with college basketball. You know, I thought the NBA, and obviously you, the, the college basketball doesn't have the budget to do this, but I thought they did a really good job uh, with television optically with those graphic, the boards, the video boards, and it kind of looked good on television. It looked like there was some atmosphere, but when you get these empty arenas with seats and seats and rows and 
no cheerleaders and no bands and neutral sites. It's it's definitely a different uh, experience watching on television for sure. I, I was thinking of you the other night. You were a great shooter, a, a preeminent shooter in the country. Now, when you're practicing on your own, you're shooting in an empty building. Does yeah. would that affect your shooting at all in a game and not having fans? Or is that a dumb question? No, no, it's a good question. I uh, my my theory on that is uh, shooters want a dark background with that is that that has good depth perception. So you never nobody ever shoots well in a dome because you have no depth perception. Right, there's so much space be- behind the basket. So you want as as dark a background and as close a background as you can to the basket, in my view. And so, yeah, I think whether 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 you have fans, I think having some sort of canvas to shoot against that your eye is used to is helpful. I always thought Hearn's, Hearn's Arena was was a hard place to shoot because they had yellow. And, and if it wasn't full, I always felt like that was hard. I'd rather shoot against a black, dark background that's right up against the back, backboard. So I do think it could affect the players from a shooting standpoint and certainly just from an atmosphere standpoint. I, I was also thinking about defense, like switching yeah. and hearing a guy like switch yeah. or, yeah. hey, pick to your left, pick to your right, whatever, screen left, screen right. I, I wonder if there are guys picking that up easier now than in years past because you can hear everything. There's no question about that, Dan. That's a great point. I mean, you could you can hear it on television. You can yeah. hear the guys talking. You can hear the coaches barking at the referees. I think the home court advantage, which in college basketball is probably as important in any other sport because momentum. And you, you mentioned playing at Duke with that atmosphere. You take that away, you know, Richmond beats Kentucky at Rupp Arena. That doesn't happen. Now, Richmond actually is a better team than Kentucky right now and much more experienced. But, but, you know, instead of having 25,000 in Rupp Arena, there's nobody there. And it, and it kind of feels like a glorified inter-squad scrimmage. That's, I think you're going to see more upsets because of the lack of atmosphere, the lack of momentum um, that the home team is usually, you know, has the advantage in that area. I got to wonder if SLU, and I, I was talking, and I know you were on this too, and um, the Zoom that we had as the kind of the, the tip-off, uh, Zoom call that we had with uh, Lisa Stone and Travis Ford and and Chris May and and many of the Billiken fans were on this. I got to wonder on the men's side, especially if SLU and other programs that have depth, the the senior leadership is at an advantage, and and this across the board as opposed to uh, one and dones. If if they're at an advantage this year more than ever because of their experience as opposed to these great athletes that come in that just have not had the practice time that normally would be available in a quote-unquote normal season. I think that is a great point, Dan. I've been thinking that same thing. And, you know, the Richmond, Kentucky was a great example of that. You have an experienced Richmond team that have three- and four-year juniors and seniors. I mean, they beat Kentucky. I mean, that was a beatdown. That wasn't even – I mean – it was close for a while, but like that was not, if you watch the game, that was not like, oh, that's a big upset. And they, they got magic in a bottle for a second. That was like, they're the better team. And you go back to the summer, the, these, these freshmen that were coming in, they didn't have a normal summer. They didn't get reps. They didn't get individual workouts. Some of them couldn't travel. Um, they certainly couldn't work out they didn't have a normal fall. So there is no question you're, you know, the, the lack of home court advantage because a lot of these mid-major teams are going to they have to play on the road anyway against these power five schools and then you take away their home crowd and you take away the preparation 
for these five-star one-and-done type schools, I think you're going to see a lot more upsets uh, in college basketball, a lot more parity. In terms of slew, what what is you know the the, the LSU game is a, a really good win. Uh, SIUE is, is it's a nice win. I mean that's that's one that you expect to win. But what is what has stood out for you in the first couple of games in watching slew? Just the, you you mentioned depth you know earlier. I just I'm just really really impressed with the quality of their depth. Not you know, a lot of people say, hey, we can play ten. Well, yeah, but your seven, eight, nine, ten are not nearly as good as your one through five. But but when you go to the bench with SLU and you bring in a guy like Demarius Jacobs and Fred Thatcher's when he's healthy, Jimmy Bell started every game last year and he may not play as much this year as he did last year. He's been a little bit under the weather, but you know, they've got um, uh, Martin Linson who's, who's come in and, and taken over that center position while Hassan French has been out. So just the, the quality of the depth and you can bring, you know, a Demarius Jacobs, you can bring Hargrove, who's gotten a lot better. You can bring Jimmy Bell, who has a lot of experience. When you can go legitimate, Fred Thatch, you bring a legitimate 9-10 to the table. I just think that, and you don't lose much, and you bring get some energy off the bench. I just think that's going to be really hard with the way that Travis Ford teams always play so hard. They rebound, they defend, they're so physical. And when you can do that with forty for 40 minutes with 10 guys, it is going to wear out teams i don't think i've not seen a lot of teams in the little college basketball that the season we've had so far that have the quality depth that that the billikens have scott highmark the billiken hall of famer is my guest linson's kind of an interesting guy isn't he we're, we're just finding out about him hassan french is now off the uh, concussion protocol he's in full contact drills we expect him to play tomorrow against arkansas pine bluff again you can see that game on fox sports midwest we'll have the call um but he's with his third team, and he's kind of just fit right in. Not not a big deal for him to go with his third team, third university, and it's just fit right in with Travis Ford. Yeah, he looks like an experienced guy who's been playing college basketball for a while. You know, he, you know, he played thir- 38 minutes a game so far. Again, French has not been playing, but he's a reliable guy. You can throw the ball to the post, and he'll make good decisions. And he has, a, he has an interesting neck. He's not crazy athletic. But he has a way to get to the free throw line. He's gotten to the line 12 times in two games, and he shoots 80% from the line. He's a good passer out of the post. He's been a nice surprise, and it's just he's a nice complement to what you have with Jimmy Bell and Hassan French when you've got like an experienced guy like Linton that really understands the game and can impact it. Yeah, Dan, I'd say that's probably the one thing that's jumped off at me watching these first two games. Jordan Goodwin, uh, Scotty, you were a guy that, that uh, could have gone pro and, and done some more things with your career. So you understand what it means to be a pro. Jordan Goodwin, it, what does he have to do to take his game to another level this year? He's been a double-double machine already, two doubles, uh, double-doubles. So what, what's he have to do to take his game to another level? Yeah, I, I think he said even when he went through that kind of the pre-draft uh you know, process to get some feedback from NBA teams. And, and I, I've heard him say they told him he needs to have a more reliable jump shot from the perimeter and he needs to improve his ball handling. Um, I mean, he's outstanding, right? I mean, he's a triple double threat every day in college. Um, but the, the tighter he can become with his ball handling, cause he's probably going to be a combo one, two, if, if he gets, if, and when he gets to play at the next level, whether it's in the NBA or overseas, but if he could just be a reliable three-point shooter or even 16 to 18 feet, 
I mean, the whole game opens up because he he will drive. He was a junkyard dog. He will get offensive rebounds. He will finish in transition. He's got everything else. If he can just add a, a reliable, even a mid-range game and occasionally a three-point shooter, I mean, the sky's the limit. Everybody kind of compares him to Marcus Smart, and I see a lot of that. But if you watch Marcus Smart in, in the NBA now, Marcus Smart is, is in a very, very reliable three-point shooter. So, again, he's got some growth. But Jordan Goodwin's got things that you can't teach, like motor and hands and, uh, you know, just in, instincts to, to, to hunt and find the basketball. So he's an outstanding, outstanding college basketball player. I'm, I'm sure you would agree with this. More than ever, uh, conferences need the non-conference wins in 2020 because we yeah. just don't know when games are going to get canceled. So you got to build up a resume now more than ever. The A-10 – Holy smokes, they're piling up non-conference wins. There have been some huge ones here, and that is just beneficial for everybody in the conference right now. It is, honestly, it's been about perfect so far for the A-10. What, what, needs to ha- what needed to happen for the A-10, particularly in this kind of pandemic-shortened year that we're going to have with lots of rescheduling, is the A-10 needed to pick up some really not quality non-conference. With A, they needed the games to be played, and B, they needed to win some. So that when you get into conference season, you're playing each other, your RP, RPI or your net ranking doesn't go down. And, and you know, we talked about Richmond beating Kentucky, BCU beat Memphis, SLU beat LSU. Davidson had two qual, I mean, like two, two point losses to Texas and Providence and beat UNLV last night. Rhode Island beat Seat Hall. So, I mean, you've got four or five quality wins um, that are really going to raise the league up. And so, depending upon how the schedules work out the rest of the non-conference way, you're going to have a league RPI or a league ranking that's high enough, Dan, that when they play each other, you don't drop. And you have an opportunity to, you know, you beat a Richmond, you beat a VCU, you beat a Davidson, and you actually have an opportunity to to increase. So honestly, I haven't talked to Travis Ford directly about it, but I, I can't imagine that this has worked out any better couldn't have scripted it any better for the league. Now you got to win your games and take care of your business, but at least you have an opportunity to get into league play and and probably get three or four teams in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, there's no doubt. Uh, I'll wrap it up with this. What are you expecting to see uh, tomorrow night as we do that game on Fox Sports Midwest? Yeah, excited to see Hassan French you know, back in the lineup and, and just see how he adds and how he and Linson and Jimmy Bell play together up front. Excited to see... I would imagine that Travis Ford and his staff are really trying to play faster. You're seeing a lot more full court pressure. So I would expect them to come out and try to really rattle Pine Bluff early with their pressure defense and uh, just see if they can continue, you know, starting to see things, you know, what you're going to get from Perkins and Goodwin and, and for the most part French, but just can Fred Thatch get back into the flow? Can yeah. Jimerson have a big game? Can Demarius Jacobs be reliable? Like that sixth, seventh energy guy off the bench. You know, is Hargrove going to take a step? I think the games like tomorrow or yeah, on tomorrow night, what you'll see is is what are those what are those next five guys going to do, and what role are they going to play? Great stuff, Scotty. As always, appreciate your time. Good luck over at Mosaic. Uh, you know, you, you're you're making financial dreams for everybody here in St. Louis. So keep that going. <laughs> Okay. Uh, we're try- we're trying our best. That, folks, is one of the good guys, Scott Highmark. We heard from Alex Ferrario. Our thanks to Scott Highmark. And I'll wrap up the Friday edition of the show in just a moment. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. 
Dan McLaughlin back with you on this edition of Scoops with Danny Mac as we lead you into Ribs, BK, and Alex. Remind you that you can join in the holiday spirit, contribute to our 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser for the Little Bit Foundation. Donate at least $25 online between now and December 14th. You'll receive a complimentary 101 ESPN T-shirt as a gift for your donation. 12 days to donate, 12 days to score that free 101 shirt with a donation. Your $25 donation helps the Little Bit Foundation provide a backpack of school supplies to a local student in need. Thanks to our presenting sponsor, Massage Lux. Find all the details, make your donation to our 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser now at 101ESPN.com. Many thanks to Tanner Hendrickson, Mike Ryder, and also to you for always tuning in. And to Scott Highmark, Mike Kelly, Alex Ferrario. Alex Ferrario, Ribs, BK. They're coming up next on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.